gathered together from the cosmic reaches of the universe, here in this great hall of justice, are the most powerful forces of good ever assembled. Superman! Batman and Robin! with their space monkey, Bleak. Dedicated to truth, justice, and peace for all mankind. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 102 of the Man of Screen podcast. I am your host, Mike Zumo, and, and on this episode I'm going to be covering the main episodes, the planet of the Neanderthals, and the coming of the Anthropods, and a couple of episodes that are surrounding them. But before I get into the uh, episodes for uh, for this week's coverage, I have feedback to address from friend of the show, Dave McElvenny. Dave is writing in on Man of Screen episode 92, and uh, when I talked about season one of Super Friends. So Dave writes, Greetings, Mike. First, I must say that for storytelling, I eagerly await the time when the Super Friends will have actual villains, like the fabled Legion of Doom rather than the misguided scientist trying to make the world a better place through rather clumsy means. Second, in Dr. Pelagian's war, Dr. Pelagian is himself something of a polluter, causing oil to fall from the sky as a lesson to the Ralcacitran industrialists. What's Who's going to clean that up? Third, Pelagian does not mean inhabitant of the open sea. A Pelagian is a follower of the philosopher-slash-theologian Pelagius in his denial of the doctrine of original sin. I think the writers may have meant Pelagian, from an ancient Greek word referring to pre-classical indigenous inhabitants of the flat coastlands near the Aegean Sea. Even though that's rather details for a kid's cartoon. I'll be working on, an, on a message for your 100th episode. Live long and prosper, Dave. You know, looking back at this letter, it's kind of funny uh, look, reading the bottom where Dave is working on a message for the <clears throat> 100th episode where I am currently recording episode 102. And Dave... I don't need to tell you now, but we're getting to a point in Super Friends where we are having more villainous characters, even though we're not necessarily seeing the, you know, the quote-unquote real uh, villains that we've seen in the comics, such as, uh, you know, the Legion of Doom, which we're going to see, start to see more in the challenge of the uh, Super Friends episodes that are going to be coming up when I start covering Season 3. You know, I don't know if you've noticed the same things I have at this point, but, you know, I'm enjoying the format of Season 2 a lot more than I did the format of Season 1. Those uh, 43-minute Super Friends episodes were just draining to take notes on and uh, cover and watch. Now, to the point where we're looking ahead at the uh, double 22-minute stories that I'm going to be dealing with in uh, Season 3. I'm not sure I'm looking forward to that anymore, but at least uh, the episodes will be broken up somewhat. It'll be two 20-minute stories and not just uh, one long story. And I am definitely also looking forward to the Legion of Doom showing up. As for uh, Dr. Pelagian, yes, he is a bit of a polluter with the oil falling from the sky. And I'm guessing that he is not planning to clean that up. And I would thank you, and maybe the writers of the show should thank you for correcting the term Pelagian, which does not mean inhabitant of the open sea. I do not necessarily know where the writers of the show got that definition from, and why they, if it's an erroneous definition, why they put that. Into Aquaman's mouth, maybe I should have done better research, I don't know. But I guess I just kind of took the show's word for it and moved on, so thank you, Dave, for uh, correcting that. 
and maybe it is the word Pelagian from the ancient Greek. But you're right, that is a very detailed message for a kid's cartoon. That is apparently all Dave has to say on these episodes, and that's kind of what we're running into with some of these episodes. There's not really a ton to say about them necessarily. You know, they kind of are what they are. Especially season one was a lot of, uh, you know, Wendy and Marvin and Wonder Dog just getting into trouble, which seemed to just run the runtime longer than it needed to. And, you know, going through this, I really don't have a lot of, you know, childhood memories, so it's even hard to think of, you know, some preamble just to start the show because I just don't have as much to say about this subject material as I will about stuff that comes later. I don't have the relationship with this material that I will when I get to the Superboy show and Lois and Clark and the Chris Reeve movies and stuff like that. I mean, fellow podcaster uh, Michael Bailey, who I don't know if Mike listens to this show, but most of you are at the very least familiar with uh, Mike Bailey's work over at the uh, Fortress of Bailey-Tude podcast network. And I believe he was sharing some cartoon that, I guess, celebrating Superman's history and animation, I want to say. And, you know, he was kind of, you know, a little put out by the omission of the Ruby Spears cartoon, which only lasted 13 or so episodes in 1987 or 88. So the animators just probably didn't remember it. And I'll be honest, I know I watched the Ruby Spears cartoons because I remember watching them when I was a kid, but I really have no... I only remember one short of Superman playing baseball. That's really the only memory I seem to have of the Ruby Spears uh, Adventures of Superman. So, with that being said, thank you, Dave, for writing in. If you want to write in, too, join the uh, the feedback chain, manascreen at gmail.com. And uh, without further ado, I'm going to head right into the next segment, which will be... The planet of the Neanderthals and the uh, surrounding episodes. So, hang around, folks. everybody, Magnus here. At Trennis Magnus Punches Reality, I talk about comics, movies, and TV shows. But mostly it's comics. And starting in February 2018, I'm launching a mega series that's all about Batman comics. And right now, you're probably saying, but Magnus, but Magnus, does this have anything to do with that new Batman movie that may or may not be coming soon? Why, yes. Yes, it does. I plan to talk about a crapload of Batman comics, and I want you riding along in the Batmobile with me. This is The Caped Crusades, a 24-part mega-series all about Batman comics that have meant a lot to me for a lot of years now. And as I work through all of that, I'll also talk about what I personally consider to be Batman's series finale. All that and more is part of The Caped Crusades, a 24-part Trennis Magnus Punches Reality mega-series. Be there in February 2018. Trennis Magnus Punches Reality can be found at 2TrueFreaks.com as well as iTunes. All right, welcome back, folks. 
Original broadcast date for the episodes in this segment was October 15th, 1977. And I'm going to start with The Planet of the, ne- of the Neanderthals. And as always, all of our synopses are brought to you by SupermanHomePage.com, your number one source for Superman information on the web. While the Super Friends work in orbit with a space lab, the Wonder Twins on Earth find the people and buildings transformed into a prehistoric state. You're too late, Batman. Some strange force has turned the Hall of Justice into primitive stone. We've got to contact the other Super Friends. No need, Batman. This mysterious prehistoric transformation has occurred all over the world. Armies of prehistoric Neanderthal cavemen now rule everywhere. And modern man has been enslaved. You there! Get to work in the quarries, all of you! What on Exor is that? It's one of the Neanderthals. Get to the quarries! Forget it, caveman. We're slaves to no one. You dare disobey the orders of your leader, Varko? The heroes find that a scientist who disliked the modern world had tricked other scientists into creating a time tunnel and an obelisk device that, when placed back in time, changed how evolution occurred. Silence! You four have been accused of crimes against civilization. We've committed no crimes. You deny you're out to stop me? Yes. We were out to stop the enslavement of the world. Enslavement? You mean liberation. Modern man has had his chance and made a mess of the world. I have judged and found the world guilty. Now there is order, and I alone have changed it. Alone? Impossible. You're right, Batman. I was not alone. I tricked the top scientists of the world into building me an enormous time tunnel and an electronic device that would physically alter the evolution of man. Once completed, I took the huge device back in time, where it sent out beams of energy, changing the evolutionary process of man, allowing primitive man to control modern man. And so, by virtue of my own design, I am ruler of the world. I think Varko is wacko. You'll never get away with this, Varko. The Super Friends will stop you. If the Super Friends dare to go near my time tunnel, which is hidden beneath this fortress, it will automatically self-destruct. And as for you, Batman and Robin, you are about to take a short trip straight down. Change has allowed him to take over the world with an army of Neanderthals. Superman manages to send information on the time tunnel to scientists on the space lab. The scientists can then tell the heroes how to build a second tunnel. Superman, Aquaman, and Wonder Woman use the tunnel to go back and retrieve the Black Obelisk. The obelisk in the present changes the planet back to normal. Alright, so we've got a time, a bit of a time travel episode going on here. Which is kind of interesting that we're talking about time travel right now, because I just got finished a little while ago, recording a very long Man of Screen extra with uh, Bob Fisher talking about Krypton, which that will have dropped well before this episode uh, hits the podcast feed, so just that gives you a little bit of an indication of kind of where I am as far as recording versus when things are actually coming out. So, this episode starts off on in Metropolis, where we get a quick wavy screen in the modern cityscape, and all the people are reduced right back to the prehistoric age. We really have no idea how this is happening at first, it's just a quick uh, visual effect and the city is gone, so it didn't dawn on me rather immediately that time was being messed with, but maybe it should have. Which is weird, though, because not everything is affected. The Super Friends are up in space. They're helping out with the uh, space lab, which is 
apparently unaffected by the changes in, in the timeline. Somehow, even though the uh, the entire timeline of Earth seems to have changed, somehow these scientists still got up into space. So the only super friends we really see at this point are Batman and Robin, and if you look closely at the uh, visuals, right next to uh, the space station is Batman's rocket ship. So apparently Batman has a rocket ship that he can use to fly into space. So, so at first I thought the uh, prehistoric action was limited to uh, Metropolis, making me think that the hall is actually in Metropolis, not Gotham, as I originally thought. But uh, there is some dialogue that will tell me that the entire world is affected and not just Metropolis. Yet, what's very interesting, and this is because they're from off-world, Zan and Jaina are not affected, and neither is Superman, and neither is Wonder Woman. And Aquaman is not affected either. The only human characters that are not affected by this are Batman and Robin, and the uh, two sci- and the scientists at the Space Lab, which seems to indicate if you're not on Earth, the changes in the timeline won't affect you. It, it only affects those that are on the planet, even though logic dictates that Batman and Robin, these two t- scientists, will probably er- er- be erased from existence due to the changes in time. So, a caveman is now ordering the Super Friends to uh, work, and they refuse. So, and obviously, it's quite easy for the Super Friends and their seemingly advanced intelligence and superpowers to subdue the primitive. And I did find uh, either an animation mistake or a voice acting mistake, as when Batman says, let's go search for him, I'm guessing him being the uh, scientist that is behind all this, Superman's voice comes out of his mouth. So, oops. You know, you see that a lot on certain cartoons where the wrong voice will come out of a character. It happens. Used to see that a lot on the old uh, Ninja Turtles show back in the 80s when one of the turtles would talk and the color of the mask would indicate that it is the wrong turtle. So, here is a Neanderthal reporting to his boss, who is cl- who has clearly not regressed to a primitive state. There are reports of strange beings. They have great powers and cause trouble. Ah, the super friends. They must not stop me. Alert the sentries. Gleek escapes a net that's set by the primitive, primitive but... He does not seem to help uh, anyone else escape. Gleek just gets himself free. Okay, so there's that. So Batman and Robin, Zan and Jaina seem to be on trial by the mad scientist here. I believe his name was Farco or Farco or something like that. He basically said modern man had his chance. So by turning back the clock, I guess he's hoping man will grow up better. But I guess not. He doesn't really evolve due to the effects of the obelisk in the past. I guess that makes Farkle the ruler of the world here. But, you know, he makes the mistake, you know. He figures he's got everybody over a barrel, so he makes the mistake of telling the Super Friends where his time tunnel is. And I am sure that is going to come back to bite him in no way whatsoever. No way, shape, form, or fashion. So, the uh, twins can't reach each other. They cannot make any physical contact to activate their powers. But Gleek is on the outside doing everything he can to not do anything helpful. The wagon is kind of going down a... prehistoric road and even when he separates the cage from the wagon he kind of manages to send them careening over the side of a cliff but the wonder twins do get lucky when one of the wagons hits a rock and they appear next to each other and activate their powers Jaina becomes an elephant which is large enough to break the the wagon jail and Zan becomes a pink wave because water can escape the cage that he's in now Batman and Robin they eventually get their signal activated and Batman uses his super long reaching powers and Wonder Woman has the bright idea to build a time machine. Our only course of action is to build another time machine, return in time, and change the past back to the way it was. We can't possibly build another time machine. All scientific knowledge and technology are gone. 
Not all, Aquaman. We still have the scientists at Skylab. Which, she makes it sound so easy. Like, you know, the super friends can just snap their fingers and build a time machine. And Superman tells the scientists in space, because, like I mentioned before, they are unaffected by the apparent changes in time. He just calls up to them, tells them that he needs help building the time machine, and he makes it sound as easy as grilling the cheeseburger. So Superman is going to look for Farkle's time machine, and obviously he's the one gonna, who's going to go undercover because they need his x-ray vision to find the time machine. Ordinarily, you know, you would think Batman would be the character to go undercover, but Superman's powers are needed to find the machine. And apparently Superman is wearing this helmet, which I guess it transfers whatever Superman was seeing to the space station computer, so the scientists can build the time machine. They just see what Superman sees and they can build this thing. I guess they don't need any special equipment. So Aquaman and Wonder Woman come to rescue Batman and Robin by tying a guard to a cage. And the super friends apparently have the material they need to build their own time tunnel. But of course, Ward will get back to Farkle and he's having none of it. He needs to have the only time tunnel that there is. And now we're going to get an ancient war. I'm not sure what this bunch of Neanderthals with clubs can do against Super Friends, but with Superman, Wonder Woman, and Aquaman in the past, I guess that leaves Batman and Robin on their own. So Jaina and Zan will fight the fight the uh, the prehistoric way, as Jaina becomes a, uh, a brontosaurus, which wasn't known in 1977, but is known now that a brontosaurus isn't actually a dinosaur anymore, and Zan becomes water, and he soaks the enemies into submission. And then, Batman and Robin close themselves in a cave so they can hide. No, but I do like the way the drama is ratcheting up as uh, time runs out. The uh, super friends that went into the past only had an hour to do what they needed to do, so Batman, Robin, and the Wonder Twins were able to buy the super friends the hour that they needed. Good teamwork on both sides of the time stream. But now Wonder Woman, Aquaman, and uh, Superman find the device. I'm not sure why they're having a discussion in front of it of what to do. It's Barco's device, all right, but how do we get past those fierce Tyrannosaurus Rexes? If those dinosaurs are startled, they could knock the device off the edge of the plateau. This calls for teamwork. I'll take care of the dinosaurs. You and Aquaman get the device. I mean, there are apparently some dinosaurs around it, and uh, they're debating what they could do without hurting the dinosaurs, I guess. What I don't understand is, can't Superman just fly in there, grab the device before the dinosaurs knew anything happened? Oh, well, I guess this is a team show and everyone needs to show how, how they're helpful. Both Wonder Woman, Aquaman, and Superman take extra time to do something that Superman probably could have just done by himself. Now, with a minute to go, Batman holds off the knee in the falls with a bat spider web because why wouldn't Batman have a bat spider web? It seemed like something he would need on a regular basis. And Gleek trips Farkle and everything goes back to normal with this very same wavy visual effect. Now, the super friends now save Farkle's device and Superman explains that Devices aren't evil, and only the people who use them are. But why are you saving Barco's evil device, Superman? No device is evil, Jaina. Only the people who operate it. Perhaps one day, Barco's device could be used to serve mankind rather than enslave it. What about Barco? Hopefully, he'll return to society one day. Having learned that no man has the right to be judge and jury for the world. The world isn't perfect, but it's the only one we have. <laughs> I think Gleek has found a better world. <laughs> it looks like Gleek's world isn't perfect either.
basically this is the uh, guns don't kill people, people kill people argument. And time travel is a terrible weapon, one that should not be wielded by the irresponsible. Batman also tells us that Fargo has no uh, right to rule over the world, and the episode ends with a joke of Glee getting his tail tangled up in a globe. And the, uh, for those of you who are following the uh, Dakota segments, the uh, Dakota solution is caveman. So this was a neat little time travel episode, you know, like I mentioned, but one of the things I noticed is that, you know, Superman kind of didn't do his job as easily as he could have in order to help his uh, super friends uh, do what they needed to do to uh, participate in the solution. So other than that, it wasn't, wasn't a bad episode, very fairly straightforward. I liked how the time uh, travel element worked, even though it was a little inexplicable how Batman and Robin and the scientists survived the uh, the changes. Apparently, if like I said, apparently if you weren't on Earth, you weren't affected. Not a bad uh, overall Super Friends episode. Going to move ahead into The Enforcer, which this was Aquaman and Wonder Woman. Aquaman and Wonder Woman help a man named Garth One to save a unique underwater city from a criminal known as The Enforcer. So this is a very straightforward episode of uh, Aquaman and Wonder Woman going to a place and taking care of its problems. Aquaman knows the uh, terrain where the guy is missing and he goes to help him. Wonder Woman tags along and the rest do nothing. The Enforcer is basically pillaging this underwater city and striking fear into the population, so Wonder Woman and Aquaman are going to solve this problem. And apparently this city is not overall underwater, but you have to go underwater to get to it. Once they swim through the tunnels to get to uh, this underwater city, which is not Atlantis, there is air, not just water. So the Enforcer rules this populace with an iron fist, and he is threatening the ruling body by trying to uh, boil Garth One in oil. And the Enforcer tries to... uh, Put Garth into the water, but Aquaman catches him with some help from the locals. The Enforcer tries to uh, get away in the water, but Aquaman catches him with some help from the local swordfish population. You know, again, Aqu- Aquaman do- is doing very little. He's letting the sea life do his jobs for him. Now the council learns its lesson. It's basically to not let them sell- somebody else kind of run them over. And now we're going to head into the uh, Super Friends morality play Shark. A braggart who claims he can dive deeper than anyone else really plunges into major trouble when his diving antics attract the attention of a shark. It's up to the Wonder Twins to rescue the bragging teen and show him that boasting can be hazardous to your health. But before we get into the episode, Superman teaches us some handlebar safety. You know, don't sit on the bars while somebody else is controlling the bike. You know, standard practice practice if you don't want to get thrown off the thing. And as far as the episode goes, as usual, the guys are showing off for the girls. And this one guy, you know, claims he can dive as far as anyone else. And at least, uh, the girls are smart enough to stay on the beach. Now, there are two mistakes being made here. First, don't swim with the sharks. Secondly, don't panic because that just makes matters worse. So, as I'm watching this episode, and I'm basing it on the way previous episodes went, the uh, girls are going to call the super friends and not the lifeguards. And I don't know a lot about sharks. You know, I'm not a big fan of watching Shark Week. You know, not that I have anything against Shark Week. I just never got around to it or into it. But I was generally under the impression that they don't attack unless they sense blood. But I could be wrong about that. So Jaina turns into an octopus and fights the shark off. And the uh, the braggart decides not to boast anymore. You know, he's good on his part. So the braggart, get, you know, he uh, bites off more than he can chew and literally almost gets eaten by a shark for his troubles. So that'll bring us to the uh, final episode of this segment. Flood of Diamonds featuring Aquaman and Green Lantern. This is going to be the first appearance on Green of Green Lantern on any Super Friends episode. Basically, Aquaman and Green Lantern need to use a whale to rescue South African diamond miners trapped in a, after a mine collapse. So, after Wonder Woman finishes showing us a card trick, we're going to see Green Lantern in this episode. And the Green Lantern is one of my favorite superheroes. I mean, the Green Lantern uh, 
titles at DC Comics are probably probably my third favorite property in uh, in DC Comics: Superman, Batman, and then Green Lantern. Probably with probably the Flash coming in fourth, as far as individual characters go. So basically, what's going to happen is Aquaman and Green Lantern are going to try a whole bunch of stuff to get out of the cave, and meanwhile, the workers are you know cause a flood instead. You know, it's good to uh, see Green Lantern in this episode. He's always been a staple member of Justice League for me. Then I have missed him in these early episodes. I look forward to seeing more of Green Lantern down the line. So Aquaman is going to use his sea powers to get the whale to help them rescue the prisoners. And it's interesting that the power ring can create real-life objects. Nowadays, it can only cause green constructs. I mean, some can last beyond the power of the ring. But usually, once the ring runs out of power after its 24-hour cycle, the constructs disappear. Now, the miners were too hasty in their work, and they created the cave-in, so basically it was their own fault, but you know what? They're sorry, and that makes everything better. As Green Lantern flies off, there's a bit of a flourish in his flight. That's very Hal Jordan, and I'm glad to see that the miners are going to uh, learn their lesson and, uh, you know, take a little more care with their work, and they're not going to rush to get something done on time. So, that's, you know, good advice for anybody. Don't rush your work. Get it done right. Make sure you don't make any major screw-ups. You know, maybe I should take my own advice and not record an episode of the podcast after recording a two-hour-plus-long Man of Screen Extra, but that's what I'm doing. I'm going to continue, because i got to get this stuff recorded. So, that's it for that hour of Super Friends. At this point, I'm going to take a quick break, play a podcast promo, then I'm going to come back with the coming of the Anthropods and uh, the episode that surround it. Hang around, folks. Are you willing to follow me on a journey and risk getting lost in a swirling maze of past ages, protected only by our red indestructible capes as we break through the final unexplored realm of the time barrier to explore the fantastic Silver Age adventures of the world's greatest hero, Superman? If so, join me each week on the Superman Fan Podcast as together we'll follow the Man of Steel, his cousin Supergirl, and his closest friends, Perry White, Lois Lane, Jimmy Olsen, Lana Lang, Batman and Robin, and others in Superman's never-ending quest to defend truth and justice in the pages of Action Comics, Superman, World's Finest Comics, Superman's pal Jimmy Olsen, and Superman's girlfriend Lois Lane. Go to the supermanfanpodcast.blogspot.com, available on iTunes and most other podcast aggregators, You can also follow the podcast on Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, Medium, Flipboard, and Stitcher. And after you listen, feel free to send email to supermanfanpodcast at gmail.com. And unless you request otherwise, I look forward to reading your comments on future episodes. And don't forget to wear your red indestructible cape, standard safety equipment for traveling through the time barrier. All right, welcome back, folks. 
The original broadcast date for the episodes in this segment, October 22nd, 1977. And we're going to start with the Super Friends episode, The Coming of the Anthropods. And uh, our synopsis is brought to you by supermanhomepage.com, your number one source for Superman information on the web. Now, a group of rebellious insects are exiled to Earth. Silence! The sentencing will now be carried out. You have been convicted of crimes committed against Insectonian society. You are hereby banished from this planet, never to return. Banished? We will not be banished. You cannot. Silence, Insecta. You will all depart immediately to a distant planet. Justice is done. Revenge will be mine! You will all pay for this! I promise you! They are no longer our problem. Now let the planet called Earth deal with them. Then immediately start trouble. Led by Insecta, they steal an an unarmed missile and accidentally fire it toward Gotham City. Superman stops it, but the insects steal a Mazon Energizer Ray, and the inventor, Professor Evans. The Wonder Twins go along with the insects to learn the plan. After arriving at an ancient temple in the Amazon River, the twins make their escape. Superman and Wonder Woman try to get in, but are turned into lifelike statues. Holy statues! We've got to get that Mazon Energizer to save Superman and Wonder Woman! Our only chance is to get into the ruins undetected. Our bat boot jets will get us there in no time. The others make their way in and stop the insects and turn Superman and Wonder Woman back to normal. Instead of passing your problems on to others, you must learn to deal with them yourselves. We have learned a lesson, Superman. We will try to rehabilitate them here on our own planet. The area of our jungle which was turned to stone will be a constant reminder of our mistake. Later, at the Hall of Justice. Those insects learned the hard way that the only way to solve a problem is to do it yourself. I guess you could say the insect planet learned you can't pass the bug. (laughs) Speaking of bugs, looks like Gleek's got a way to deal with the insects if they ever come back to Earth. All right, so ant people. Aren't you excited by the sheer prospect of watching the Super Friends deal with ant people? And literally ant people. Tiny ants. So apparently there is some sort of trial going on on this ant planet, and this tribunal is going to sentence a bunch of criminal ants to exile. One of the criminal ants, this is their leader, Insecta. Insect, Insecta. Clever, isn't it? He screamed about how he wants vengeance, and guess what? They're going to be sent to Earth. It's no longer the ant people's problem, and they intentionally have passed this issue on to Earth. Some nice people are right there. So, apparently, uh, Insectonia, or or whatever this planet is called, is a jungle-like world. The uh, lush palm trees didn't exactly give off that vibe in the brief animation that we saw, but it's clear that when the insects arrive on Earth that they're not liking the uh, southwestern U.S. desert, as evidenced by the uh, cacti that you're seeing scattered about. And they're tiny as well, basically scared uh, this military man out of his vehicle, and they spray him with some kind of green mist, and he's suddenly hypnotized into doing whatever the insectoids want. Great. Only one thing worse than intelligent bugs. Bugs that spray stuff at you. 
So the army calls the Hall of Justice because nobody else is equipped to handle these situations. Batman, intelligence has just informed me that a truck carrying an unarmed missile has disappeared in the desert surrounding Kent government base. Holy desolation, that's smack in the middle of nowhere. We'll get right on it. I'll go with that, man. You'll stay here and watch the monitor screen. Wrong! You'll watch the monitor screen and I'll watch you. <laughs> and Robin points out that the disappeared that the truck disappeared in the desert. Thanks, Robin. We now know uh, what that genome that we were looking at looks like. So the one the twins meanwhile, while they uh, argued into staying home, uh, Zan, who can only turn into water, probably does not want to go into the deep into the desert. So Batman and Robin leave the Hall of Justice. I am not necessarily sure where the Hall of Justice is. I'm guessing it's somewhere in and around Gotham. That seems to be where the show seems to want to put it. Beyond that, though, I don't necessarily know where Gotham City is. It's always struck me as an East Coast city, and let me tell you, if the Hall of Justice is on the East Coast of the United States, then Batman and Robin got to the desert in the Southwest in an awful big hurry, and they're there almost immediately. So Batman and Robin, they find the insect tracks, and uh, Batman has an infrared device to pick up heat trails. You know, it's kind of funny that when... They showed the Hall of Justice. Only Batman, Robin, and the Wonder Twins were there. You know, during the uh, shorts that only featured two episodes of the two members of the Super Friends, I wonder why there they go through all the trouble of animating everybody just to only have two characters go off and uh, solve the problem. And that makes me wonder. Everyone is in this episode. Where is everyone now? And why are Batman and Robin doing everything? So uh, Batman and Robin find uh, the missing missile and they find an officer. And the uh, insectoids, the ant people are now trying to take over Batman and Robin. And, you know, I've mentioned this before in the previous segment. I love the bat symbols on the masks. Batman sure knows a lot about branding. If you find uh, a piece of Batman's equipment laying on the side of the road somewhere, he wants to make sure you know that it's his. So now there's a runaway missile heading for Gotham City, and uh, this is when Superman enters the episode and tosses that into the river, leaving it for the Coast Guard. Hopefully it's uh, disarmed so that the Coast Guard won't get blown up and trying to deal with this thing. But we never do quite find out what happens with that. We just figure Superman stops the missile, it's done, we move on. Not a lot of dwelling on things in this show. Now, I've mentioned this before, Batman and Robin are making some really good time in the, in the Batmobile. I guess those uh, those turbines and automatic uh, power to speed or whatever it is, it's doing them some good because they are moving across the country and back at record speeds. And again, the Wonder Twins seem a little too excited to have been left at home during that recent adventure. And meanwhile, the ants are breaking into a base. And so this device that the scientists are working on gets her useless desert into lush areas. Which sounds good for the ants. If Lex Luthor knew about this device in Superman the movie, he wouldn't have had to do nearly as much with uh, the missiles that he did. Now, Zan is picking up an alarm, and they decide to investigate because the Super Friends mission is more important. If they decided to investigate, they would have known that this was the Super Friends mission. And I'm also going to wonder how long it took Jaina to cross the country. Have he transformed into a camel? We didn't see what Zan and Jaina transformed into during this episode. So, there's that. Now, the ants know about the, the Wonder Twins have, uh, and while they're crossing the country, they get caught. So, the Super Friends find an em- empty base where they are attacked by the mind-controlled officers. And they learn that the Wonder Twins are on the plane with the ants, and it was nice of Superman to repair the fence he destroyed, trying to slow down the officers' vehicles. These officers are possessed by the ant people. And Jaina wasn't totally useless here, as she figures out a way to get a message to the Super Friends that they're going to the Amazon jungle. The jungle of the Amazon. 
which Wonder Woman, which Wonder Woman, thanks to her guide there. Uh, now Jaina isn't totally useless, and she figures out a way to get a message. Now, now the ants know that the Wonder Twins have infiltrated them, and Insecta is not happy about it. So there are plenty of ant sentries around, and they start chucking boulders at the Batboat. And Batman and Robin and Aquaman are stuck in the river with crocodiles, but Batman and Robin just blow up some things that look like beach balls. And Aquaman had a little bit more trouble, and he found a way to muzzle the croc. I do admit, though, I get a little jazzed when the main Super Friends theme plays uh, during an action sequence. M- music is uh, used to great effect in this episode, even if there's nothing special about the episode in particular. So having been chased at the top of a pyramid, Zan and Jaina escape by becoming a ski slope and a polar bear. So, if you ever wondered what a polar bear looked like going down a ski slope, this episode can give you that answer. Now, Superman gets hit by the Maison Ray, and he falls like a stone, and he and the Wonder Woman are stuck. But the Super Friends still need to get in. Fortunately, Batman and Robin have jet boots for the job, while Aquaman tries to swim into the pyramid. Batman just sucks them into a sack, that's the ant people, that is, and he could have just you would think he could have just used a can of Raid or something to take care of this. I'm surprised he doesn't have a can of Raid in his utility belt. So... After everything is dealt with, after everybody is restored to mobility, Superman gives the insects a lecture about dealing with problems on their own, instead of passing them off to Earth. Basically, Superman goes all the way to the insect planet to give these people a lecture about dealing with your problems at home and not dumping them on someone else. I'll be honest, I think Superman looked pretty upset going up that, uh... So I really can't believe that Superman went all the way to this planet just to, uh, tell the uh, ant people better ways to uh, deal with their felons. And uh, meanwhile, at home, the Super Friends talk about the wisdom of solving your problem by yourselves. And uh, Gleek tries to uh, catch a butterfly and winds up netting himself. And uh, by the way, if in case you're interested, the uh, Dakota word was insect. All right, and now the next episode uh, the I'm going to talk about is The Invisible Menace. This features Aquaman and Superman. And the synopsis goes, Captain Nemus steals Professor Fairweather's ultrasonic undersea mining device and turns himself, his crew, and his submarine invisible to escape from Superman and Aquaman. But the heroes stop Nemus before the device can cause serious damage. Alright, so this episode starts with a submarine moving along the sea bottom, and it's mysterious, and I'm sure Aquaman is going to be interested in this, as uh, apparently Professor Fairweather has got some sea mining device uh, activated here. And now we've got our criminals in the submarine. Uh, they have the help of a vanishing ray, which cloaks them. And, of course, they're going to steal the mining device after Professor Fairweather mentions that it would be dangerous if it got out of control. Full Roster is back at the hall, unlike the previous episode I talked about, in which Batman and the Wonder Twins were the only ones there. Aquaman uh, volunteers due to his keen aquatic senses to uh, find uh, Professor Fairday. And Superman goes with him. This is what should have happened in Super Friends vs. Super Friends when they let Aquaman basically take on that octopus by himself. Superman should have been hovering above the surface and waiting to see if his friend and teammate needed that actual help. Now, it's nice to see that the villains are getting villainous. They're not just, you know, being helpful in unhelpful ways. These guys are doing wrong on purpose. These guys are criminals, and they're acting like it. So, it is definitely good to see that with the way apparently uh, you can't show any kind of crime going on these days. So the Vanishing Ray is no match for Superman's infrared vision, so the sub shoots out an invisible whale, which plowed into Superman, who probably should have just flown right through it, being that he wasn't expecting it. I'm not sure how the kids would have uh, dealt with uh, an invisible whale being torn apart in that fashion, but I guess if they can't see it, it won't hurt them. But I guess uh, the whale was able to take out Superman because he wasn't expecting that it was coming. So when chasing the sub, uh, Professor Fairweather is threatened and Superman backs off. 
And I hope Superman has some kind of plan. And I guess the plan is to get there under cover of Manta. As Aquaman swims under a Manta and he gets into the sub and uses his trusty can of octopus ink to make the village visible. The mining device activates, causing an earthquake. And Superman will basically fall into a rock slide, but punches some rocks as he makes his way back to the ocean floor and turns off the machine. And you have to assume Superman uh, helps the earthquake as well. So, not a bad episode. Very straightforward. You know, there's nothing really great about these seven or eight minute episodes, but they just kind of are what they are. And from there, we're going to move right into the Wonder Twins morality play. This is Initiation. The twins save a boy who tries to take a photo of a grizzly bear, and he and three other boys learn that, da- that dangerous stunts are not needed to be initiated into a club. Basically, another episode of the Wonder Twins telling boys that they're idiots. So, this episode is showing us an initiation to bring us some kind of gang or something to take a picture of a grizzly bear in its cave. Not a good idea. And uh, now his uh, buddies are calling on him, and uh, then one of them realizes he's in trouble. And uh, now Zan and Jane are camping, and uh, Zan just lost an epic battle with a folding chair, so that kind of shows you where his effectiveness is at right right now. But the uh, Wonder Twins apparently have the team trouble alert, and they get called to check out the situation uh, with the boys and the cub. And this is where I'm starting to get the feeling that Gleek's superpower is that he carries Zan's bucket. Because, so the bear itself looks pretty small, almost like a cub. And they uh, save Jeff by Zan turning into a water pool, a whirlpool around the bear. And with the events of this evening, the gang decides not to throw any more initiations in the cave. So, that's good. The people are learning to leave the bear alone and not cause any trouble. That being said, I'm going to move into The River of Doom, and this features Wonder Woman and Rima, the jungle girl. Wonder Woman and Rima rescue a group of geologists from a headhunting tribe in the Amazon River. So, fairly straightforward. The three geologists find the necklace and are captured by the natives. You know, and uh, Rima happens to be there at the Hall of Justice at the right time, and uh, she seems to know this tribe, so she's going to uh, volunteer herself for the mission. So it's a good thing that she happens to be at the Hall of Justice today. And apparently the uh, jungle animals understand Rima's Tarzan scream. So the tribesmen have tied the geologists to a lock and send them down the river. Rima continues her fine, uh, fine jungle skills, pole vaulting and using the vines as rings so she can uh, move at a quick pace. So there's another Tarzan call and Rima sends some crocodiles after the tribesmen. And Wonder Woman showing that she's pretty good on the vines as well. So uh, the geologists are saved. The tribesmen are beaten back. All is happy. And basically the hour ends with Superman telling a kid that he's smart for not getting involved with drugs. So, there you have it. Two more hours of the all-new Super Friends Hour. Next time, I'm going to cover the Water Beast and the Mind Maidens and the episodes that seem to surround those. If you want to send feedback to the show, like Dave McElvey does, email address is manascreen at gmail.com. If you want to join the conversation over the Facebook group, just put Manascreen Podcast in your search feed and the show should come up. You can also find the show on Twitter at Manascreencast. Next time, folks, I'm going to cover... The episodes The Water Beast and The Mind Maidens and the episodes that are surrounding them. I believe next week is a heavy uh, Superman uh, episode with him appearing in obviously both main segments and maybe at least one of the other segments each. So until next time, folks, have a good one. Take care. Bye. The Man of Screen Podcast is produced by Mike Zumo 
and all opinions expressed on the show are those of Mike Zumo and his guests and no one else. All music and sound clips used on the show are for review purposes only and no copyright infringement is intended. All music and sound clips are copyright their original copyright owners. The Man of Scream is a member of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network and can be found at www.twotruefreaks.com. If you shop at Amazon.com, please consider using the link at twotruefreaks.com to shop there. If you do, the Two True Freaks get a little cut of what you buy, and it doesn't cost you anything extra. So you can shop as usual and help out the Two True Freaks at the same time. Emails of this show can be sent to manofscreen at gmail.com. And you can also leave the show a review on iTunes. That will help others find the show. Thank you for listening to the Man of Screen Podcast.